0: Hello and welcome to Impactability, the Nonprofit Leaders Podcast. This is a show that explores the landscape of the nonprofit organization, big and small, offers some incredibly helpful information and resources, and gives nonprofits a place to share ideas and get advice. I'm your host, Joe Turner. Our show is sponsored by SUCUP Strategic Solutions, offering a wide variety of services to help nonprofits maximize their impact. So let's get into solving the problems that might be plaguing your nonprofit. Thanks for joining us on ImpactAbility. Good to have you with us. You know, according to the National Center for Charitable Statistics, more than one and a half million nonprofit organizations are registered in the United States. One and a half million. And this number, it includes like public charities, private foundations, other types of nonprofit organizations, including chambers of commerce, fraternal organizations, civic leagues. I mean, on and on and on. Now, when you think about your organization, you might be the only one that addresses a certain problem or need in the community and that gives you a bit of an edge on the other nonprofits that your organization is unique to that area but what do you do when you're just kind of trying to carve out a niche for yourself with other nonprofits addressing the same need as yours does how can you be more innovative not only in you know like your everyday operation but in your plans for the future very important now better yet What if you're planning some changes in your organization? Can you get everyone, including your board, that's gonna come in this discussion, trust me, can you get everyone to buy in? How are your donors gonna feel? How much marketing is gonna be needed? There are so many questions, and being that that's my job to ask the questions, I went in search of someone who could help us with this because I know there are nonprofits that are facing this. Maybe you're just stuck. Maybe you need to grow and you're not growing. Whatever the case, my guest is going to help us solve some problems or at least answer some questions. Sarah Owen is my guest. She is the president and CEO of The Collaboratory, formerly known as the Southwest Florida Community Foundation. The Collaboratory is an amazing group of coordinators and connectors, and they're all looking to solve all the major social problems in their community, get this, with an 18-year deadline. You heard me right, 18-year deadline. Now, basically, if all goes right, and so far so good, it will be the greatest community problem-solving initiative in American history. Gosh, Sarah, I love that bold statement. Welcome to Impactability.
1: (laughs) Oh, thanks. And you know, I love this topic, so thanks for having me.
0: Great to have you. Sarah, now, come on. That is some truly bold verbiage. In America, right? <laughs> but now I like it. It shows the organization is willing to make bold moves in order to make some noise and create some change. Do I kind of have that right where the collaboratory is concerned?
1: Yeah, absolutely. We're coming at this as problem solvers. And you know, we didn't really do it to make a branding splash or to set ourselves apart, but we're really focused on solving all the problems in 18 years. And I can hear the clock ticking in my ear all the time now. It's
0: not your alarm clock, it's the 18-year clock ticking, right? Yeah. Yes. So let's start at the beginning. So you're going along, serving your area as a community foundation, and all of a sudden, I mean, what happened? Did you wake up and say, hey, we need to change this?
1: Well, I'll tell you, Joe, we did make the announcement two years into COVID almost, and some people did just think we were wearing our masks too tight. But it didn't happen all of a sudden like a bolt of lightning. You know, the Southwest Florida Community Foundation had been around for 45 years doing some great work. But our organization was looking at data all the time. And the problems that we're all concerned about, whether it's depression, food access, uh, maternal health, suicide, all these big problems, the needle just wasn't moving in the right direction. So we said, hey, what are we going to do? to really address solving problems. And how are we going to dream so big that it gets people excited?
0: Wow. So in my book, this is an amazing, innovative move that you made. Was this your brainchild? Was it a collaborative effort with others on the team? How did that come about?
1: So it's really important when we talk about solving all the problems in the 18-year deadline. I want to get it out right away that we don't think collaboratory is doing this ourselves. That would be misplaced. It won't work. And look, if we could do it, we should have already done it by now. So when we talk about the brainchild, the brainchild was really about solving problems. And it was listening to donors and residents and nonprofit leaders, our organization, constantly frustrated. They were working so hard, donating so much money, but the needle wasn't moving. So Making the announcement, making the commitment to the region that we were going to be singularly focused on this large coordination effort was our brainchild. Like dreaming something so big and organizing up to it, putting ourselves accountable on a deadline was our brainchild. But the rest of the brainchild action comes from outside of us in. So this wasn't something we announced with like three binders of an 18 year strategic plan. That is not the approach we're taking. This is new power, not old power. This is how do we engage a region to own this greatest problem-solving initiative in American history. It's not ours. We're playing a very specific coordinating role.
0: Well, now, for the nonprofits that are listening, when do you throw out the book and start over? I mean, that is one huge leap of faith.
1: So I think you have to just get in touch with your why. I think, you know, I led a grassroots nonprofit for many years before I stepped into the foundation world. And I know how hyper-focused nonprofit leaders have to get on their mission and moving their mission forward. That's what they're hired to do. That's why they took the role. But sometimes that can get very siloed. And so I always just challenge people, all right, why do you even exist as an organization? Why are you even there? What is the mission that you're on? And then look at everything you do and say, wait, is this enough to get there? Most nonprofit organizations, not of any fault of their own, aren't allowed to dream big enough. You know, their mission statements read like, you know, we'll try to solve this or we're working for a more just community, all very good mission statements. But this idea of dreaming something really big to actually solve the problem your organization was created for and setting a deadline re-energizes you in a whole new way. It's not throwing out anything that you've done in the past. That's all gotten you to where you are today. But why are you there? Get in touch with the why is so critically important.
0: I love that. Get in touch with the why. Absolutely. So this was really kind of more than a rebranding, correct? Oh,
1: definitely. It's, listen, we attached a new brand to it. And we kind of backed into that, too, because uh, the Southwest Florida Community Foundation had created this physical space of collaboratory. And we created the space specifically because we wanted to connect people in a deeper way. But we realized after we moved in the space in 2018, just creating the container wasn't enough. We had animal people meeting in one room and a group of realtors meeting in another, a company meeting in another, and a food agency meeting in another. And guess what? They might talk to each other for five minutes by the coffee machine, but how are we really examining how these problems are all entangled with each other? You know, in your opening remarks, you talked about, hey, how do you set your nonprofit apart? Maybe a better question is, how do you see how you're so connected and linked to things that you may have never known? And that sometimes will drive your mission forward. You ask any nonprofit leader out there, they will be able to tell you everything's connected. If you're working on babies, you know that's connected to buses. If you're working on domestic violence, you know that's connected to dogs. They know that, but there's just no bandwidth created in organizations to really spend time and talk about that.
0: How do you collaborate? Hence the name, correct?
1: Exactly. And you know, listen, I think collaboration is one of those overused C words. I think I was. Uh, laughing with somebody about this the other day. We use all these words, you know, capacity, connection, collaboration. You know, what does it really mean? And who's actually got the bandwidth to do it? We're built to connect and collaborate. But boy, our organizations and the system as a whole around nonprofits aren't.
0: So in just the first few minutes of our conversation, in the back of my mind, and I mentioned it at the beginning, I'm thinking the board. Because basically if the board's not gonna buy in, it ain't gonna happen right so tell me tell me how you approached them with this idea
1: and what were their initial responses? Well, the board is the key and you know the board is set up in nonprofit organizations to really be the visionaries and dreamers but we've kind of painted them into the boxes of being more uh, people who are making sure we're complying and making sure that all the trains are running on time and that The financial documents are all working right. But really, the board's biggest gift to an organization is to dream, dream big around the why of the organization. So we didn't come to the board, you know, just in one meeting and say, hey, we've got this great idea. This was really, it's been a decade long journey that our organization was looking at of how do we really solve problems? And so the board examined budgets, dreaming took extensive training and bold thinking to come to this place. And it wasn't smooth sailing. I mean, there were a lot of difficult conversations and we had to have the patience and time to do it. We worked on this for two years pre-COVID. We actually voted on the new identity and this new commitment in February of 2020. So the board had been working on it. We made the decision and then COVID hit and we had to take it from there.
0: (laughs) Tell me how you got all of the details, all the notes, everything. How did you get it all together first? Because you probably figured in your mind, we've only got one shot at this to take it to the board. So how did you do that?
1: So the board went with us all along the way. No, never was staff kind of over in a bubble creating something or a consultant over in a bubble creating something. We brought board members in. We put teams together to start taking a look at things. Prior to that, the board had been through training, which really got them dreaming and thinking of what this big idea could be for our region. And it kind of started from there. So the board was always involved all the way along, making decisions, critiquing things, having deep conversations. But it really started more with this philosophy of dreaming and also not catering to the old rule books for nonprofits. They really busted out of that as they were creating this vision.
0: But there are many boards who, and forgive me for saying this, but there are many boards that are kind of a bit, you know, stayed in their ways, so to speak. How do you move the needle and get them fired up for something like this, as opposed to saying, nah, nah, we're just, we're just going to leave it alone. That's nice, Sarah, but nah, everything is just fine.
1: You start with how you recruit your board members. If I have a conversation weekly with a nonprofit leader, it's on the topic of their board. And then we really dig into, okay, what did you say to them when you recruited them? We're in the process of recruiting five new board members and I've already spent significant time on the phone with many of them. I've sent them five to six hours of pre-reading material before they officially accept. They have to go through training, which is just about how we as a board think. So if you think you're going to roll in at one board meeting and launch a new idea, you're right. That's probably not going to work because everybody who's sitting at your board table now was told something when they were recruited. Were they told? We're entrepreneurial. We're trying to figure out a way to solve this problem. This is probably the hardest three years you're ever going to work. We expect you to come to meetings outside the meetings to think with us and dream with us. That's not usually what you hear in board recruiting. Usually you hear, hey, listen, it's not that much time. You're going to do us a lot of good. We have magical thinking when we're recruiting people and then disappointed at the end. If you don't recruit right from the beginning, then these conversations can't take place. And if you're going to trainings as a nonprofit leader and somebody from your board isn't going with you, then you're just screaming into a vacuum.
0: Did you offer new training for the board so they could, you know, maybe get some ownership on the whole process?
1: Yeah, we are constantly training around not nuts and bolts things, not like fiduciary responsibility. People can read that on the internet. You can do that in a two-hour meeting. What we're training on is how we think, how we dream. We're always bringing up possibility thinking. And now- every committee meeting, everything that we do in training is all saying, does this align to the 18 year goal? Does this align to the 18 year goal? We need to spend more time talking and dreaming together and less time looking at governance and financial responsibilities. All that's important, that has to be there, but that should not be taking up the majority of the time. If you're talking to the board always about process and policy, then how how do you expect them to dream with you?
0: Great point. Wow. That's the key takeaway today. That is absolutely spot on. I agree with you. We're speaking with Sarah Owen about her organization and how they were able to make huge changes to their organization that were lots more than just a fresh coat of paint. We got lots more to talk about, but we're going to take a short break right now. When we come back, we're going to talk about the staff, how Sarah and her folks kept the name changes secret, how they marketed this new version to the community. Most importantly, how did they approach their donors. You're listening to Impactability, the Nonprofit Leaders podcast. I'm Jill Turner. We'll be right back.
1: One of the biggest challenges facing nonprofits today is securing grants. Where do I find information on grants? How do I write a grant? And how do I submit the grant? And then of course, the dreaded midnight deadlines. Hi, I'm Teresa Stos, and I have been there and done that. At Sukup Strategic Solutions, we have a team of expert grant writers with years of experience writing hundreds of grants for nonprofits just like yours. Visit our website today at Solutions.com and schedule a free consultation about your grant writing needs. That's S-O-U-K-U-P strategic solutions.com. Let's work together and get the grant that your nonprofit deserves.
0: Welcome back to ImpactAbility, the nonprofit leader's podcast. I'm your host, Joe Turner. We're speaking with our guest, Sarah Owen about The Collaboratory, an organization that has made some major changes, how they're doing things, basically a rebranding gone wild. It's amazing what they've done, and I know so far you have learned a lot of things. We got some challenges along the way that we're going to discuss, so hang out for that. Also, another edition of Coach's Corner coming up in a few minutes, so stay tuned for that as well. So Sarah, this sounds like it came together relatively quickly and relatively smoothly, but... That's not true at all, is it?
1: No, neither. I think sometimes when you see a big announcement like we did about a year ago, we went very public and a lot of collateral, a big public event with over over a thousand people watching.
0: On Zoom, I might add. You did that all online.
1: Yes, exactly. And so, you know, it's easy to just think, oh, well, they threw this together and it's a branding change but there was nothing quick about it. And it was painful at some times as change is. And we learned a lot of lessons along the way. It was not easy. It's still not easy. It's very hard. And you come out with something that big, you just have to be ready. People are going to laugh at people have laughed at me, made fun of us, challenged us, said mean things to my face and behind my back. And we knew it was coming. The board knew it was coming. The staff knew it was coming. But the commitment was strong enough. We were all in. And we just said we're going to keep our eye on it. So, no, it hasn't been quick and it hasn't been easy.
0: You know, earlier we were talking about your board, Sarah. Once you got the board to buy in, let's talk about the staff. Because I'm guessing you had to kind of keep things on the down low throughout this whole process. How would you keep the secret and how did the staff take it? And was there any attrition or anything like that?
1: Yeah, I count this as one of our failures and I learned a lot from it. You know, I'm, I'm about failing forward and learning and really happy to communicate about that. Our board was really concerned about how much engagement the staff had along the way in the process, not because they wanted to keep things secret. We have a very open team board dynamic here. It's very healthy. There's no like secret meetings going on but the board was worried if they didn't land on doing something this big, would the team be disappointed? So they wanted to have meetings with just board members and myself to really kind of work through this and think through this before sharing it with the staff. But what that created was a feeling of anxiety and uneasiness. You know, when you don't know what's going on, even though I was keeping them posted, hey, we're discussing this, Change is really hard, and when you don't feel like people are being transparent, you start to worry, and you do that thing where you create stories in your own head, and sometimes the stories you create in your head are so bad when everything is really fine. So it was very difficult once the board had made a decision, and I was able to really share with the whole team what they had decided and the direction we were going, it kind of felt too late and people felt bad. And look, this is a big decision. Are you going to stay in an organization that's going to come out publicly and say, we're going to change the way we've done business. We're going to solve all the social problems in 18 years. Staff people had to make a real evaluation. Am I in for this? And if you aren't, we were, you know, happy to help, you know, with the transition and things like that. And I admire people who are just honest. And listen, we were launching new positions like the nurturing department and the entanglements department. I mean, there's no staff in the world that wouldn't be like, well, what about me and all the work I've been doing all these years? Does this not count for anything anymore? So yeah, we had people that made the decision to go. They didn't want to stay for the journey. We have still good relationships with them. And you know, many of them have moved on to other nonprofits. But yeah, it was rough. I think the staff felt like that I had not been as transparent as they would have expected me to be from past history. And and it was difficult.
0: Kind of reminds you, for those of us that have been on the planet a little while, it reminds you of New Coke.
1: Yes. Oh, I use that analogy all the time, Joe. I talk about New Coke all the time because even our website, all the new stuff is all front and center. And then all the stuff that we've been doing traditionally in the Community Foundation for a long time was under the more section. And of course that made people feel like, well, wait, why am I in this more section? And we talked about it. It's like, look, we got the new Coke. We got to put that out front and center because we have a lot of explaining to do. So I love that you use that analogy because I've used it so often. Yeah.
0: And, And for those who are saying, especially maybe some of our younger listeners saying, huh, new Coke, what are you talking about? Just look it up. It's like marketing 101, right?
1: Yes, exactly. So we don't want to be the new coke, you know, so we we did take that into consideration. But yeah, it was a, it was difficult and navigating a board, a team, the community, donors, all at the same time, because you got to come out and announce, you got to put it out there. You have to make the commitment. We've made the decision to go all in, not just like a little box on our website, like, oh, we're going to try this new initiative. No, this was commitment and dedication on purpose.
0: And speaking of marketing, that had to be a huge part of this. How did you market this major change to the community? I mean, you had to burn a lot of energy for that alone.
1: Well, a lot of energy and a lot of money. And I will tell you that this was the first stage with our board is how much of our own money are we going to invest in marketing and communications? And this is a taboo subject in the nonprofit world, right? Because we operate under this rule book. That you shouldn't spend any money on that like if you get something too flashy or something looks too good or you didn't use your cousin's nephew's uncle's brother to make a flyer you've somehow squandered money so this is why this boldness has to be within the board the entrepreneurial spirit to say hey i understand what it is that we've got to do to solve problems why are we not investing as much in solving problems in our community as we are in the new coke campaigns Why aren't aren't nonprofits taking out an ad at the Super Bowl? It's because they'd get crucified by by their communities, right? Like this whole idea, like this is how much our board had to be committed to say, we're going to spend money on marketing and communications. We're going to spend money on compensation. This all goes to problem solving. It's not this evil, immoral, overhead that has been cast on the nonprofit community. It's doing us all so much harm. So our board wanted to lead by example to say, we will do a big announcement. We will send out a giant mailer. We will invest in a new website. We'll do it because we think that's what all nonprofits should be doing and we wanna fund in that space. We fund for overhead.
0: And since you brought it up, let me ask that. What was the reaction of your donors? Because at the end of the day, they need to buy in as much as your board does.
1: I had a lot of mixed reactions, which we were expecting, much more overwhelmingly positive because what we heard from a lot of people, a lot of donors was like, oh, finally, I've always wanted these nonprofits to be connected. I've always wanted somebody coordinating this. I care about this problem. I'm tired of it not being solved. They weren't speaking negatively about their nonprofits. They loved them and they support them. And none of that support was going away, but they were glad to see it. But some of the best conversations I had is when people were willing to be honest with me about their concerns, about the things they didn't like. Those ended up being our best conversations and are to this day because we continue to do at least weekly explanation sessions so that people can reflect back to us about how they feel about the idea. So donors um, at first are on board with the big idea. What we haven't seen the shift necessarily yet is, is it changing the way they fund. Once they start investing in overhead in the nonprofits that they support, I'm gonna feel really excited.
0: For the nonprofit that is listening to our program today and is thinking about making some innovative moves in their organization like you did, give us some advice, give us like a bullet list.
1: Make sure you have all the data on the problem you're trying to solve. So let's say that you are working in literacy how many people in your service area do you have to serve in order to solve the problem? We see growth in such small incremental ways that it doesn't give anything big and bold enough to dream up to. So really understand the need I'm trying to solve, the problem that I'm here for, the thing that I was created to do, what is the real need and start planning up to solving it completely rather than we wanna increase by 20 kids or we wanna increase by 50 kids. Now first, what's it gonna to take to solve it? And then dream about what's gonna solve it there. Begin now working with your boards to do different kind of trainings. What is it gonna to take to dream enough to solve the problem that we're all sitting around this table for? spend time at every board meeting, start recruiting differently, start recruiting for these values that you want to do to, again, this isn't about a rebrand or changing your image or standing out in the crowd. This is about, we're here to solve this problem. What's it going to take to get it there? And patience. My favorite quote these days are times are urgent. We must slow down.
0: I like that, Sarah. Thank you. You know, this type of drastic change might not be for everyone, obviously, but if a nonprofit is a little stale, maybe it's time to shake things up a little. so I got to thank you and, and wish you continued success at the collaboratory, Sarah. Sarah Owen has been our guest from the collaboratory. Thank you so much for for your story today and, and being with us on impactability. Appreciate it.
1: Great to be with you. Thanks for giving me the time..
0: Sound of the horn means it is time once again for another edition of Coach's Corner where we take the questions that you send us and we put our impact coaches to the test. They have got to answer your question and they only get five minutes to do it. That's the catch here. And today we got a question about plan giving and we went to our plan giving expert, Dr. Lou Trina. Dr. Trina, this one is right up your alley. So here's the question. What are the first steps a nonprofit should take to launch a plan giving program? Now in coach's Corners, I said, Dr. Trana, you only have five minutes in which to answer the question, and your five minutes begins right now.
2: Thank you, Joe. Um, anything that requires a, a major initiative or project requires research. And I when I think of research, I think of uh, mixed methods. I think of empirical research and qualitative research. And so I think the first step I would take would be first to research the state planning community, that I'm in. And so I'd be looking at the state attorneys, financial advisors, accountants, and I would find those individuals that are very active in the community, serve on nonprofit organizational boards, individuals that are more inclined to collaborate with their uh, nonprofit counterparts. And once I had that list identified through some wealth engines that we have, and iWave is another good one. Uh, to be able to get good information on the kind of charities that these individuals support, I would then select a number of them and call up and actually conduct an interview with them, letting them know that we're looking to start a plan giving initiative, educating them about the nonprofit organization that they represent, talking about the kind of leadership that they have in their nonprofit organization and the kind of leadership they may need. And also talking about, you know, would they, is this the kind of organization that they would recommend to their clients or not recommend to their clients? And I think what they'll find is that there are probably a number of individuals that are very open to uh, providing advice for the nonprofit uh, to help them establish the kind of program that could generate future prospects and supporters of the nonprofit and individuals that would have the potential and readiness to actually. Uh, engage in uh, estate planning or plan giving for the nonprofit. Okay, so to recap, again, this is the first step. You're looking to build uh, a relationships, collaboration with the top plan giving organizations in your community. You're looking to educate them using a qualitative research and interview schedule that will talk about your organization, what the services your organization provides. You're looking to talk to them about the leadership that's required in order to implement a program like this and the kind of potential resources that are out there in the community that can help your nonprofit become successful. I think if you do all those things, if you do the research, both the uh, analytics with Wealth Engines and iWave for qualification, and you follow up with a selection from that population of individuals that are leaders in the state planning community and have a conversation with them representing the top issues or themes that your organization needs to have in order to be successful, and designing uh, the future plan giving program.
0: I knew we came to the right person, Dr. Trina. Great answer. Thank you so much for being our impact coach today on ImpactAbility. Thank you, Joe. Always a pleasure. If you've got a question for Coaches Corner, we want to hear from you. Email them to us at impactcoaches at impactability.net. Again, that's impactcoaches at impactability.net. And if you want to reach me, my email address is joe.turner at impactability.net. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast app. And that way, you'll get new episodes downloaded just as soon as they come out. Also, please give us a review or a rating so that your peers in the nonprofit industry can find us as well. I'm Joe Turner. Thanks for listening. And thank you for all you do to make the world a better place through your nonprofit.